Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at iCloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. Hallelujah. That song, you realize, has the whole gospel from the beginning to end in that song, King of Kings. Did you notice that? I hope you did. Listen, don't just sing songs, but pay attention to the words and uh, make sure it lines up with what you know the Bible teaches. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to join me in the Old Testament book of the Exodus. Would you join me there? The Exodus, chapter number 12. Anybody glad to be here this morning? Y'all kind of got calmed down after that song. Y'all get seated and you lose your smile. I don't, I don't know if it's me or just the transition or what, Andre. I'm just kind of looking to see where the smiles are in the house. Can you show me one smile? If you got one this morning, there we go. All right. Some of y'all are happy. Some of y'all just ain't going to smile no matter what, are you? Uh, that's right. I want to say I'm glad that you're here this morning. And uh, I believe God has a word for you, okay, today. So Exodus chapter number 12. Exodus chapter number 12. You'll notice that there are some tables down front, right? And so... We're going to do something this morning that I don't know that I've done maybe once over uh, what in August will be 19 years, and that is to celebrate the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion on a Sunday morning. Now, you may be asking yourself the question, why? Well, as the Spirit has stirred in my heart over the years, um, I always find that Sunday night are a little more uh, people who really are serious about their relationship with the Lord. Uh, They're really more committed to Him and following Him. I'm not saying if you don't come Sunday night, you're not. Just bear with me, okay? And, uh, and so that's just when the, how the Spirit has led me over time. Well, uh, last week, as he impressed on my heart that we were supposed to do it this morning, I was thinking, wow, the first Sunday when we have all these new sections and all these new chairs and all these new exits and the complexities that come with that, God, are you sure? You ever done that? God, are you sure that's what you want to do? And he didn't budge, so here we are. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, you want to talk about a Red Sea miracle. Did you notice that group heard a message? There was baptism, and they celebrated Holy Communion, and they got out of the parking lot before you got in. How about that this morning? That's a Red Sea miracle. Uh, but I don't have to rush with you guys. And so you get the whole full meal. Aren't you glad you picked 1015 worship, right? And so this morning, we're going to look at a message entitled, Jesus, Our Passover Lamb. Jesus, Our Passover Lamb. Uh, it may be that you know what the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion is. It may be that you have an idea about it, or it may be that you don't know anything about it whatsoever. And I pray that this morning, before our time is up, you will fully understand both the Old Testament Passover meal and how it was pointing to the New Testament Passover meal, which is referred to as the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, okay? So I pray that that will be settled in your heart from the oldest to the youngest. Now, notice that we have a lot of young people in the room. Have y'all noticed that? The Lord has blessed us with a lot of children and young folk around here. I say oftentimes it looks like you kick the top off of an anthill. You know, they're just everywhere. But what I want to say to the kids in the room, if you'll help me do something, us older folk, when we get still in a comfortable new chair and uh, air conditioning, you know, we have a tendency to doze off. And so I always want to encourage the kid. Y'all, if, if you're a young kid in the room, raise your hand for me real quick so I know you hear me. All right, yeah, I see hands all over the place. Good night. And so y'all got to be my little secret agents in there, okay? And uh, I want you to make sure they stay awake. If they don't, give them a little elbow. Not too hard because you may get punished. Just a little bump, make sure they're awake. But listen, the second thing I need you to do for me is I want you to draw something based on what you hear me teach from the Word of God today, okay? 
So maybe if my mom, dad, somebody can find something for you to write on and you can listen for the, some of the things like a lamb and Jesus and how we're gonna connect those, an old covenant before the coming of Christ and the new covenant and that's the, with the coming of Christ. And you'll draw something based on what you hear this morning. And I'm telling you, we've got some of the greatest little artists in the room. Y'all can't imagine uh, how, they, how they follow along. Okay, so I'm gonna read two verses for you this morning and I want you to consider them for just a moment, okay? The first one is, uh, John chapter one and verse number 29, okay? John one, don't turn there. It's gonna be on the overhead, but I just wanna read it. And I want us to think about these two verses before we dive into the text. John 1, 29. The next day, here's what it says. The next day, John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. And so you imagine two grown men, two grown men that had been prophesied, right? Through Zacharias, John's daddy, as the angel visited and said John was gonna be six months ahead of Jesus and his baptism was gonna be one of repentance and he was gonna come in the spirit and power of Elijah and he was gonna make ways, straight ways, the path of the Lord. In other words, turning people's heart away from themselves unto the Lord, okay? So uh, this prophecy was made of John. Now he's grown up and Jesus has grown up and one day uh, John's walking one way and Jesus is walking the opposite way and they come in context with each other and I want you to, for a minute, put yourself in the scene. And maybe you're with Jesus and you don't really know who he is yet. You don't fully, just, you're just hanging out with him or maybe you're with John and, uh, you know, he's dressed in camel's hair and one of them neat guys that eats locusts. That'd be a cool guy to hang around, you know, to watch him eat locusts and you're walking with him and he's walking. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, John does something even more peculiar he shouts out a word, the word behold. Now, the word behold is a startling, attention-grabbing kind of word. It, it's never said like this, behold, but it's more like this, behold. And so you see John, he's walking, you're walking with John, maybe some of us are walking with Jesus, and he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm with John, I'm thinking, I don't see a lamb. Anybody else? Now, I know y'all are all super spiritual people. It's hard for you to think outside of being spiritual, but I'm just seeing if I'm there in the room and I'm thinking, lamb, I don't see no lamb. I'm looking around the room and I see a bunch of guys. I see one guy over there. And he, but, but John said, behold the lamb. I had a man ask me a number of years ago. He came and I'd been sharing Christ with him and he came and visited one Sunday and he asked me later on when we were by ourselves. He said, hey, I just got one. I really enjoyed gathering to worship with y'all, but I got a question. I said, what is it? What were these songs about a lamb? And so sometimes we, we fail to realize, what is the compare? Why did, why did John say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, okay? Now, I'm gonna give you another assigned title that comes from the Apostle Paul when he's referring to Jesus. Listen with me as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7. It's gonna be on the overhead, so you follow along with me. Now, Paul is talking about Jesus here, and here's what he says, okay? He says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, therefore... He's talking to the people. Purge out the old leaven, the old covenant, old ways, that you may be a new lump, all right? Since you truly are unleavened. Why? He says, for indeed Christ, another title for Jesus, and Paul calls him our Passover. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed. Okay, Passover sacrifice, and he was sacrificed for us. So, so John says, when he sees him, behold, the Lamb of God. And, and Paul, in referencing him, the reason that they should live different according to the new covenant, not the old, was because Christ, 
Uh, the old Passover is done away with and the new Passover has come. And he says, our Passover sacrifice has sacrificed for him. His audience knew that when, when Paul referenced our Passover, he knew, they knew he was referring to their Passover lamb. So the title of our message is Jesus, the Passover lamb. Now, where are we going to go to get some explanation as to why Jesus in the new covenant would be called the Passover sacrifice of the old? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to go and look at that together here in Exodus chapter 12. Okay, y'all with me? Everybody okay? I don't have to go too fast this, this morning because y'all got all day and nobody's coming in behind you. All right, and so here we go. As I think about what's happening in Exodus 12, uh, God called Moses to lead his people. Now remember, where did it all begin? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers right? That's where Israel's history begins in Egypt. Uh, Joseph sold in, and so the people began to grow, right? Uh, and all of a sudden, years and years later, 430 years to be exact, uh, the people of Israel living inside Egypt as slaves have grown to a very large number, okay? God raised up a man by the name of Moses. He visited him in a burning bush, remember? And uh, he called him to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go out of bondage, okay? So he goes nine times, as a matter of fact, and each time God sends Moses to say, let my people go, and if you don't, this particular plague is going to happen. Everybody still with me? Give me a head nod. All right, so that he goes nine times, and each time there's a different plague. Now, there's purpose to it all. The Egyptians believed not in one God. They were, they were polytheists. They, they believed there were many gods, and they saw that creation was an extension of, of every different type of God. So frogs were certain extension of a certain God. And, and, and all the different lives and different things were extensions of, of different gods. And so, so what God did, because God is so amazing, is that with each plague, he put on display that Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, was the only true God. He was the only one who had power over all of these false gods. Y'all tracking with me? But each time, the scripture says, Pharaoh hardened his heart and God reciprocated. When you read that, that Pharaoh hardened his heart, you'll find that God also reciprocated and hardened his heart. And every time Moses would go and say, let my people go and this, this terrible plague would happen, Moses, uh, Pharaoh would say, do y'all know what his answer was? No, I'm not letting them go. And so finally, after nine times, the final time, uh, God sends Moses back. And this time he says, you tell, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. If he doesn't, if he doesn't, stay with me, I'm going to send the death angel. And the death angel is going to visit every home, okay? And the death angel is going to kill, take the life of the firstborn, both, both human and beast animal. Unless... They follow a prescription of salvation that I'm going to offer them through the Passover lamb. Now, I gave you a little overview. Now we're going to dive into when God gives his people the specifics of what the Passover lamb is supposed to be. Now, what we're going to do in just a minute, we're going to stand to our feet in honor of reading God's word. And we're going to read those verses together, and then we're going to be seated again and go verse at a time and prove how the old Passover lamb of the past that would happen yearly for them pointed to the one-time lamb of God Passover who would settle it for all time. And you'll leave out of here with a good understanding of Jesus our Passover lamb. Are you excited about that? Amen. Let's stand together, if you will, in honor of reading God's word, okay? Beginning in Exodus 12, verse 1, and I'm going to read down through verse number 13. If you can't stand physically, stand in your heart, and uh, we'll walk through this 
passage together. Okay, beginning in verse number one. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. This is what he said. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speaking to all the congregation of Israel, speak to them. And this is what you say to them. On the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself, y'all help me, a lamb, according to the house of his father. A lamb for, okay, so not a lamb for every person, but a lamb for every household. Except, except, and if the household is too small for a lamb, uh, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. What in the world is he talking about? Well, if you only have one person in your house and you, and you roast a whole lamb, somebody's going to eat too much. And so what he's saying is, that this is not an opportunity for gluttony. This is not an opportunity for somebody to go without, but so that everybody gets a portion, unity, see the body of Christ, unity, the, the people of God. He says, everybody's going to have enough for everybody. Does that make sense to you? All right, let's read a little further along. Verse number five, your lamb shall be oh, without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, but it has to be perfect, okay? Verse six. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and some more of the blood on the lintel. Anybody use the word lintel this week? Uh, it is the cross member across the top of the door frame. okay? It's important, you need to know that. Of the houses where they eat it, verse 8. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire. With unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. So the first Passover meal had herbs that represented the bitterness of their journey. They had sweet things that were a reminder of the sweetness of God's, uh, all kind of symbolic things in the meal, okay? And he says, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Verse 9, do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head and its legs and its entrails. Verse 10, you shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist. Uh-oh. Sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Okay, we're going to find out what that means. So you shall eat it in haste. Tina said I'd fit in good there because I eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's. Oh, we're going to learn something about that. For I will pass through. What does it mean to pass over? I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute. Here it is, judgment. And then he makes a statement. Here's the judgment. I am the Lord. Nimrod is not the Lord. Uh, all these false gods of the Egyptians were not Lord. And he was about to prove it to them in one final display of power, okay? Or deliverance. It was their choice. So let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me for just a moment? And as we bow and still ourselves before the Lord, you may be thinking to yourself, man, we prayed a bunch already. You're right. We are totally dependent upon the Holy Ghost of God. So Lord, we come before you now. And we pray for help. Help first for me, Lord, as I'm preaching this word and all my weaknesses and shortcomings. Lord, you know me better than anybody. So I pray that you'd overwhelm all of that by the power of your spirit. And Lord, you'd put on display today, if you can use me, you can use anybody. And Father, as you do that, preach through me, but also preach to me because I need it as much as anybody in the room. So Lord, would you also turn our attention and our affections toward you? May it be those among us who struggle with attention spans. Would you lock us in? May we leave out of here surprised that our time has evaporated. God, I pray that you block all the distractions in our minds. May we not be a distraction to those around us. 
May we not be popping up and down in our seats and moving all around while we are preaching the holy word from heaven. And Father, may you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Now, as we are seated, I want to rewind, if I can, back to the beginning. That be all right with you guys? Good, because here I go, all right? Remember, the title of the message is, y'all help me, it is what? Jesus, our Passover lamb. What I want to do is walk through this text, beginning in verse number five, and I want to give you five explanations of what the Passover lamb was, okay, in the Old Testament, and what the Passover lamb is in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, okay? And so you'll have an understanding of that as we go along. So number one, and you notice there are going to be five. Will y'all be able to listen quickly this morning? All right, because we're going to have to save a little time at the end uh, for Holy Communion. It's going to be a sweet time drawing near to the Lord, okay? So Roman number one, you notice, write this down. We're We're going to make Passover lamb statements. Number one, the Passover lamb had to be a perfect sacrifice, Write that in your notes there. Uh, if you don't have something to write on, take your phone. Use the notes section. Type in number one and put the verse with it so you can go back and study this some more on your own, okay? Uh, Exodus 12, verse 5. The Passover lamb had to be a perfect sacrifice. Now listen, those of you who are here as we walk through Malachi, verse at a time from beginning to end, you remember one of the things that the people were doing. They were offering to God uh, lambs that we would say, it was a word we used, they were there. Scrap, look at y'all, y'all remember, scraps. They were the leftover lambs. They were the lambs that were blind. They were the lambs that had a bad leg. They were lambs that had a bad hip. They were lambs whose wool had a little off color to them or some stains on them. And I want you to notice what God says about the Passover lamb is it has to be different, has to be set apart. Listen to what he says in verse number five. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Now, if you are raising a flock, The lamb that makes the most money for you is, all right, A, the spotless perfect lamb, or B, the lamb that has some type of flaw. Look at y'all, boy, you're sharp. It is A. And so what God is saying to them is you can't just pick any old sacrifice to put before me. God is saying to them, I won't accept something less than perfection. I want what is dead level best in your flock. I want the firstborn. I want the male that's a year old. I want there to be no spots and that will be the Passover lamb. Now, let me just say something to you about that. You're going out to your flock, and you pick one up, and you look at it, and you say, well, it looks good. Oh, wait, he's got a split ear. His ear's split here, and so we got to put that one down. Now, wouldn't there be a temptation in your life to say, we can go ahead and use this one, because this one won't cost as much, right? And we can go ahead and do, we'll still do what God says. Here's what I've learned about us people. You ready? You ready? Lean in. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about us. We have a tendency to try to do as little as possible and get away with it. And we, we'll tag this with worship. Like when the offering plate came by. Did he just get real life? I did. I did. See how I did that? Just brought it right down into a real life situation. So we try to get by with as little as possible and call it worship. And so you're having to go through your flock and you're picking through all of them. And finally, you find the one that would be the prized possession, that would be the most valuable and the perfect one. And that's the one that you are going to kill and offer as the Passover lamb sacrifice. Let me give you a verse in the New Testament referencing Jesus, the Passover lamb of the new covenant. First Peter chapter 1. Write in your notes, verse 18 and 19. Here's what it says. First Peter 1, 18, 19. It's going to be on the overhead. Read along with me. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things. Uh, for instance, like silver or gold. Sometimes silver's up, sometimes silver's down. Sometimes gold's up, sometimes gold's down. Both of them tarnish. You said, but yeah, but they're precious metals. They, don't, they do tarnish over time. And God, listen, what, listen to what he says. You weren't redeemed with something that was corruptible. But instead, oh, from, notice this, from your, I love the word he chooses here, from your 
aimless conduct. It just means you were born with a certain nature and you never got the target of what it should be and you're just wandering through life aimlessly. What it means is I do whatever's right in my own eyes. If I want to get drunk today, I get drunk. If I want to be mean today, I be mean. If I want to overeat today, I overeat. It's whatever comes to my mind that makes me happy and pleasurable, that's what I do. And I want you to see what he's saying is you've got to be redeemed from that because that is rebellion to God. Now, let me read a little further. He says, redeemed from your aimless conduct. By the way, where'd you get that aimless conduct? You received it by tradition from your father, specifically one named Adam. Adam and Eve passed it down to you and to me. And by the way, no matter how light or dark your skin tone is today based on the melanin that is in there, the science has just recently proven that, listen, I love this because it was just in the last five years they put this big uh, release on this uh, medical document that said all humanity came from one set of parents. And I've said, man, we've been knowing that for thousands of years. We even know their names, don't we? Adam and Eve. And science is just slowly catching up to the Bible. Now, what I want you to understand today is simply this. Imagine, if you would, Jesus walking down the road and John saying to him, Behold, the Lamb of God, uh, the perfect Lamb of God. Now, listen to what he goes on to say in 1 Peter 1 and 19. He says, You weren't redeemed with gold or silver but that was passed to you by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood, somebody help me, of Christ. At, oh, here it is. As of a lamb. Now, how was their Passover lamb supposed to be? Without blemish and without. And so here we have the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. Let me say this to you, if I could, this morning, in without any apology whatsoever, and that is this no other sacrifice would do. It had to be the Son of God. There was no blameless or spotless human being ever born under the sun apart from God's Son. And his name, if you know it, say it with me is Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Okay, number two. Number two, see how quickly we went through that? Y'all didn't even realize it, did you? Number two, the Passover lamb. We said first the Passover lamb had to be the perfect sacrifice, but number two, the Passover lamb had to be a personal sacrifice. A personal sacrifice. Now, watch what happened in verse number six. Had to be a personal sacrifice. In verse six, he said, first you pick out the perfect lamb. Second, you bring it in and keep it until the... 14th day. So for three days, you bring this perfect little lamb into the house. Y'all ever seen a little lamb? One of the cutest creatures on planet earth, isn't it? A little lamb. And you know what I've learned about what happens when you bring an animal into the home? Oftentimes that little puppy or that little kitten will, let me ask you a question Uh, of the married folk in the room or, or previously married folk in the room. Has there ever been time you've disagreed on an animal? And one of you said, we got to have this puppy. Look at this puppy. It's the cutest puppy there. And the other said, we don't need a puppy. And it may have been you or it may have been him or her. And we don't need a puppy. And then what I've learned over this, if you can just get the puppy home for about three days, right? And that puppy breath and that love that puppy get, huh? I've seen that went over the hardest of hearts. Anybody else seen that? Amen. I have to give you a quick personal testimony. What happened in our lives this past year is, our bulldog, um, Boo-Boo was her name. Uh, Boo-Boo was ran over just at the end of our driveway, and she was, I mean, we loved her, and, and probably of our family, Tina probably loved her the most. I think it'd be easy to say that. And so when, when Boo-Boo died, I have never seen Tina grieve like she grieved. 
I'm telling you, I was worried. And so I'm praying for her and talking to her, and she just, she just wasn't herself. And, I, and so I started, I put the kids in a little secret group text. Y'all know what I'm talking about, how you do sometimes? And I'm like, y'all, I don't know what to do. And they're saying, yeah, we don't know what's going on. And I said, the only thing I know to do is get a puppy. So I start putting the plan in motion, right? Well, that very day, she starts saying, I don't want a puppy. I don't, I don't think I ever want a puppy again. I'm like, oh, boy, you know? And so we're rocking along. And I'm telling you, like, she's saying it not just once, because I was like, okay, well, maybe she didn't really mean that. But, like, every couple of hours, she'd make sure she was telling Brooklyn, she was telling, uh, and she didn't want a puppy, you know. Well, I'd already put some money down on the puppy. I'm already going to Tupelo to get the puppy. And I said, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm just, I feel like I need to do it. And the kids are like, Dad, are you sure? And I said, I'm going for it. So that day, I had to go somewhere south a couple hours. I drove somewhere up north about three and a half hours. I got home that night about 1130, and Tina was asleep on the couch. And I remember getting the door, man, my heart was doing a flip, and I'm going, God, please let her receive this puppy. And, and don't, I don't want to cause her more harm. I don't want to have, have more pain. And so I'll come in the door, and she's asleep, and, and Maddie rode with me, and we go in, and I just, I've got this, you know, 25-pound bundle of wrinkles, you know, and I, and I set it down on the couch, and I just sort of back away, and finally Tina stirs, and you know how you look when you first wake up, you got that confused look? You know, she looks at me kind of confused, and I'm like, uh-oh, you know. And then she looks at the puppy kind of confused, and I'm going, oh, boy, and I'm praying, Lord, please, Lord, please. And all of a sudden, that smile went from one side of her face to the other side of her face, and the puppy's licking her, and she's holding the puppy. And let's just say, to put it, to put it mildly, the puppy has won her heart over, all right? Now, what's the point I'm making? They went out and picked this perfect lamb, and they brought it into the house for three days. And they're taking care of the lamb in the house. And so now not only is it the perfect sacrifice, but when it comes time then for that animal to give its life, guess what? There's some personal sacrifice. There's some emotion attached. Come on, somebody. I want you to understand that all of a sudden you're watching this animal. You've done brought it in the house and, and you've done pet it and you've probably bathed it. You know, you're probably going to bathe it when you bring it in the house and you spent days time where you probably named it, right? And now it has to give its life and your heart is sad and your heart is longing. You know, you really don't want the animal to have to lose its life. Now, let me give you a picture, if I could, of the example of the new Passover lamb, Jesus, and the personal sacrifice. Here it is. It's found in John chapter three and verse 16. How, we know how Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, but how is Jesus the personal sacrifice? John three sixteen says this. For God, that's the father, so loved, y'all help me, the world, that, that's all of mankind. He so loved the world that he gave. He didn't give gold or silver. But let me ask you a question. Who do you love more than you love your children? Not many people, if anybody. And God so loved the world that he didn't just bring a little lamb in and spend three days with it. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You're talking about a perfect sacrifice, but now you're talking about a personal sacrifice. If you ever in a million years allow the enemy to whisper to you that God doesn't love you, you obviously have not had a child or loved a child like your own because there's a love there that you can't fathom until you have one, right? Or until you have a child that you raise as your own. I'm telling you that there's this love that's in your heart that you can't explain. You'll do anything for him, right? And yet here the father willingly gave the son so that you and I could be made right with him and have relationship with him and live with him forever. I don't know about you, friend. Listen, but let me make this statement to you. Nobody ever loved you like God loves you. And Jesus wasn't just the perfect sacrifice. He was a personal sacrifice. God certainly does love you. Number three, number three, we're just walking right through this thing. 
Number three, verse seven. Put your eyes there. Notice we're just going a verse at a time, not skipping all around. Verse at a time. It's called expository preaching, explaining one line as it builds on the next line, okay? Verse seven, write this down. Number three, the Passover lamb had to be the specific sacrifice. Write that down if you would. The Passover lamb, we said one, had to be the perfect sacrifice. Second, had to be the personal sacrifice. But third, had to be specific sacrifice. Now, you watch what I mean when I tell you this in verse number seven. And they shall, now God's giving them instruction, specific instruction. Here's what it says. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on one of the doorposts. Help me out. I I was wrong. Two of the doorposts, but not just on the two doorposts, but also on the lintel, the top beam across the doorframe where they were to eat their food. And if they would, if they would follow God's specific plan of rescue, if they would follow his instruction to a T, then God would in fact pass over their house for judgment. Now, now watch what I'm telling you. I want you to understand if they had painted the blood on one door, the first one would have died. If they would have painted the blood on the two doors and not the lintel, guess what would have happened? First one would have died. Now let me make application to the new covenant. If you believe you can add anything to what Jesus did for you on the cross, in other words, the cross plus this gift or the cross plus that gift or the cross plus baptism, you understand what you've just done. Now, you've just taken away from the fact that he said there was a one-time sacrifice for all time and it's Jesus only. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute, if you will, a specific plan. So it's not Jesus plus good deeds. It's not Jesus plus going to church all the time. It's not Jesus plus giving all your money to the poor. It's not Jesus plus going on every mission trip. Uh, It's a specific plan. See, some people believe that they can do enough good to somehow cancel out the bad and somehow find their way into heaven. And that would be like the Israelites painting one doorpost saying, you know what? I know what God said. He said I had to paint both doorposts and the lintel, but I'm not. I'm going to paint this one side, but I'm going to paint it like a champ. Or it'd be like, you know, I know God said paint the two posts and the top post, uh, but what I'm going to do instead, I'm going to paint the pathway going in. Because that way the angel's certainly going to see it as he's walking in. And so some of us feel like we need to add something to God's plan of rescue. And when you do, you nullify it in your life. They had to paint both doorposts, and they had to paint the lintel, the door beam across the top. Now, you want to ask the question maybe for a moment right now. It'd be good for you in your mind to be asking this question logically. What is the specific plan of the new covenant? Well, that's a great question. You should have been asking that if you weren't. And since I think you were, I'm going to answer it for you. That'd be okay? Here I go. So then John came as the forerunner. John, in the spirit and power of Elijah, his ministry was turning the hearts. He was making the way in the hearts of people for Jesus. What was his baptism? A baptism of y'all help me? Repent. You guys have been learning. Repentance. Repentance is a changing of the mind about who I am and where I am that leads to a turning in the action. Remember, I've told you before, I'm headed the wrong way and somebody's telling me I'm headed the wrong way. I'll never turn the car around until what? I'm convinced. I'm headed the wrong way. And that's what repentance is. I'm not fit to be my own God. Now, this morning, I want you to think about the Passover lamb is a specific sacrifice. So it begins as the Holy Spirit of God draws. You say, Where do you, where'd you get that from? Jesus said this, no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him or her. So then there's a drawing in the Spirit by the Holy Ghost. He shows us our need for a Savior, our lost condition. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just highlight one sin or the other. He highlights the sin of us being God of our life and doing what we want to do when we want to do it. 
And then the Holy Spirit shows us who Jesus is. The son of God who came down from heaven and wrapped himself in flesh to show us what God is like, to experience what we're like, and then to die in our place and to rise from the dead. Holy Spirit shows us that. As the Holy Spirit shows us that, this is all the sovereign power and plan of God. He chases us down. He reveals who Jesus is. He reveals our lost condition. And we find ourselves in a place of what I'm going to call human responsibility. You see, some believe that God just randomly chooses some for heaven and some for hell. But the Bible teaches very specifically from Genesis to Revelation, every dealing between God and man deals with free will. It's why God wants us to choose. In other words, love is not a mechanical motion. It is a choice. And so the Spirit of God does all of the revealing. The sovereignty of God paid for our salvation. He chases us down. But there comes a moment in time when we have to respond to all that he has done. And if we will, repent, turn away from us being Lord. And the Scripture says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God. So then there's a repentance that turns away from me being boss. There is an opening of the door. That, that word received him is a Greek word that means to open the door and invite someone in. But the problem is we fail to realize we're inviting him in not to be the co-pilot. That's nonsense. But we're inviting Jesus in to be, there's a word, Lord, which means above everything else. So I want to pause right now and look in the face if I can and ask you, have you, come to the end of yourself and been drawn by the Holy Spirit and revealed who you are without Christ and who Christ is and what Christ has done. And has there been a moment in time when you've come to the end of yourself and has God divinely revealed to you all that has been done and you responded with repentance and humility and you opened the door and said, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be Lord of all. If not, friend, listen to me, it's not too late. And you don't have to wait to an invitation time. Do you know you can do business with God right where you're sitting, driving down the road? You know the people driving down the road listening to us right now? There are people all over the world right now because you guys share our service all over the world who are listening right now. And wherever you find yourself at the nurse's station, on the oil rig, wherever you find yourself, you can right now invite Christ to be Lord. It's not a prayer. It's not just repeating these words. It is an act of faith and surrender that says, I can and you did. So Lord Jesus, would you come and be Lord? It's not a golden ticket to heaven. It's a life transformation where I'm turning my life over to Jesus. Salvation's found. I wish y'all smile because that's the best news your ears have ever heard. Everything else you've called good news is temporary, but that good news, friend, is forever. So the Passover lamb is the specific sacrifice. Let me move on to number four. Y'all thought I was going to hang out there for a while, didn't you? Well, I did. Roman numeral four, if you will. Okay. We said the Passover lamb had to be a specific sacrifice, but last, or excuse me, number four, the Passover lamb pointed to a leaving bondage headed into freedom. Now, remember, as you're writing, I'm going to talk. They've been in Egypt for how long did I tell you? You remember? We all remember after all the stuff I've said, y'all, 430 years. Now, think about it. We, we oftentimes say Egypt represents bondage, right? But remember, 430 years in a place, you've put your roots down. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, if you'd lived in, can you imagine like, if you're, you're like a, a fourth generation American, right? It's still only, you know, nowhere near 400 years old. And so for 430 years, they've, they've lived in a place, yes, as slaves, but they've buried their grandparents and parents and sisters and brothers and children. They've raised homes. They've built family places. Though they were slaves, yes, they had places and they did things. And that's a lot of time investment. And listen to me, humans hate change. Don't we? We hate change. And so here's what this symbol of this meal is going to be for them. 
you're going to have to leave Egypt. And somebody says, well, that's easy. Not if you've been there for 430 years. And if I'm being honest, I would say this about me and you. We oftentimes get very comfortable in our bondage, don't we? It's why we go back to it when things get tough. Someone said to me one time, you know, brother, I can't believe that my wife is drinking again. Can you believe? I said, certainly I can believe that. Well, why can you believe that? I said, because it's fun to the flesh. It feels good. It makes things easy. You don't have to worry about anything. You just sort of escape for a little while. The problem is it's temporary, and it has to be built upon, built upon, and then it settles nothing. And so, of course, I understand it. Sometimes bondage is the most comfortable place, except we fail to realize that all the consequences that come along with it. So now watch what he tells them, okay? Now, this is going to be a section of text, all right? Uh, read with me, if you will, uh, verse number uh, 8 through verse 11, right? You know, it's 8 through 11. Passover lamb pointed to a leaving in bodies. Watch how they're cooking, all right? Watch how they're cooking. Pay attention how they're cooking and how they're dressing, all right? Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, verse 8, roasted how? In fire. Do you know what the most common way to cook it at this particular time was? Boiling it. But which takes longer, if you cook something over an open fire or to boil it? Open fire, right? You got to heat the water. You got to get all the water hot. Then you got to put the meat in. And, it's, and he said, I don't want you wasting any time. Put that thing right on the fire. Right on the fire. Pay attention. All right, let's read a little further. Uh, he says, roasted in fire with unleavened bread. If you're going to make bread, all right, my bread, folks. Easier to make bread without yeast, which is faster. Make bread without yeast or with yeast? Without. Unleavened bread is without yeast. Why? If you make leavened bread, you have to wait for the yeast to rise. What's he telling them? You got to hurry. You're about to be set free. You've got to hurry up and be ready because you're about to be set free. Read on with me. He says, and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Now, those herbs represented the bitter trials that they went through and they were sweet. But again, they didn't have to boil them. They didn't have to cook them. It's just chop them, put them on the plate. We're getting ready to go somewhere. Hey, listen, you may be sitting on that comfortable padded chair and you came in one way in bondage and you don't realize it, but you're getting ready to go somewhere. And you sit in that same chair in a minute and be born again and be headed in a place of freedom. In the same chair you're sitting in. Watch with me, verse 9. Don't eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, roasted in the fire with its head, its legs, its entrails. Verse number 10, you shall let none of it remain until morning. What he's saying is, I want you to trust me today. Y'all tracking with me? We have a tendency as humans to hoard. We say what we see with our eyes is uh, more beneficial to us than what we can't see. But the just shall live by faith and not by sight. So he said, I don't want you to see. You see the meal, don't save it. Trust me again tomorrow. Listen to me. God's saying to me and you, trust me again today. And then if you wake up tomorrow, trust me again tomorrow. Okay? Reading a little further along. Verse number 11. And thus you shall eat it. Can you imagine? Here's how you're going to dress. In your own house, put your belt on. I don't always wear my belt at home when I'm eating. Huh? Put your sandals on. Now, a lot of times I wear my shoes at home, but this culture didn't. They took their sandals off. There was foot washing that went on. But what do you tell them to do? This meal, have your shoes on. Cook quick, prepare quick, and be ready. Put your belt on so that you don't have loose edges in your clothing. Put your shoes on so you don't have to hurry up and put your, boot, put your sandals on when it's time to go. But there's one other thing he asked them to do. He says, and your staff in your hand. Now, I'd have it in my left hand because I eat better with my right hand. Anybody? I'd even, I'd even spin it this way. God, you wanted me to eat quick, so I put it in my left hand because I eat quicker with my right hand. Right? But can you imagine sitting at your table? <laughs> Fully dressed. <laughs> holding your staff in your hand. But the picture is, right now you're in bondage. I want to quickly get you to a better place. 
And the picture today in the Passover lamb of the new covenant, his name is Jesus. And it's not a 12-step program. And it's not a five steps to the best you now. But it's a place of faith and surrender that can change you in the seat you're sitting in from a person who came in in bondage to a child adopted into the family set free from the burden of the law. Best news your ears have ever, ever heard. Finally, number five. Can y'all believe we've gotten there already? Yeah, we're still looking good. We're kind of early. I need to slow down just a tad. Uh, look with me, if you will, at the verses 12 and 13 in closing. Number five, the Passover lamb, listen, was the pardoning sacrifice. Write that down. The Passover lamb was the, say it with me, pardoning. Do y'all know what a pardon is? When you are given a piece of paper, a document that says you are free from whatever crime you committed and the penalty of it, and it's as if you never did it. How about that? Did you know that certain branches of our government can grant a pardon? Did y'all know that? You knew that. And so now let's talk for a minute about this pardon. Verse 12 and 13. I will pass through the land on, on, in Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgment. Now, what is he saying? Only on the ones that do not have the blood applied to both doorposts and the lintel. Here's what he's saying. I'm about to send judgment. Let, let me say something to you really quickly. There's a coming day of judgment where every soul will stand before the judge, high judge of heaven and will be judged either based on works, if you've never been born again, or based on Jesus, if you've been born again. I want you to think about that for just a minute. You may be good compared to Sarah or Sally or Jim or Bob, but you're not good compared. I'm not good compared to Jesus. And what we need, listen, is a pardon from God. And on that night, he said, I'm sending judgment, but I'll pardon every home that has the blood applied. I'll come for judgment. If the blood is there, I'll go to the next house for judgment. If the blood is applied to both doorposts and the lintel, I'll go to the next house. You know what I believe? I believe with all my heart, based on the text that we're reading today, I believe that even if the Egyptians, even if Pharaoh would have done what God said do in faith, he would not have lost the firstborn in his home. It wasn't just for the Hebrews. But see, it was an act of faith. It was saying, this sounds ridiculous to paint the blood of an animal on my doorpost and both of them. But if you trust me, God said, if you trust me, if you believe I am Yahweh, El Shaddai, God Almighty, you'll do exactly what I say do and you'll find peace. And that's what he's saying to someone in here today. You'll do exactly what he says. If you'll come to Jesus, you'll find peace. You'll find pardon. Listen what happened. They were pardoned. Their home was passed over for judgment. And what I want to say to you this is that I, if among anybody in this room, deserve judgment as much or more than any person that's here. And when I say judgment, I'm talking about like the guilty verdict. You understand? I'm not talking about like judgment like one way or the other. Of anybody in this room, I deserve judgment more than anybody that's, that's gathered here among us. Things that I've done, things that I've said, things that I've thought in my lifetime. But you know what? I know why I wake up every day with a smile on my face, even when I have hard days. I'm passed over for judgment. I have a Passover lamb, and his name is Jesus. And when I stand before the high judge, I'll have boldness. Why? Because true love casts out all fear. I won't sneak into his presence and look down at the carpet. I'm going to see him as my daddy because he's the one that paid for me, and Jesus is my Passover lamb. How about you? How about you? I've received a pardon. Do you know you can go to heaven on a field trip day, can't find one thing I've ever done wrong? And I've done so much wrong, you couldn't fathom it. But because of my Passover lamb, full unconditional pardon, God's given it to me. That makes me want to live for him. 
makes me want to get up early and come tell you about him. Makes me want to tell every person who'll slow down long enough to listen, there's a Savior who loves you more than you can ever imagine. Now, what I want to do is, I want to invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Would you do that for me just for a moment? And if you, your Bible's out, if you just fold it up, set it to the side if you can. Uh, notice the chairs have a little rack under them. Just don't forget it and leave it there, okay? Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to just take a minute with me and let's do this, okay? I want you to think for a minute about the Passover lamb. Will you do that? The Passover lamb. The old covenant, it was a physical lamb and it had to happen every single year and it was a commemorative of God's deliverance from bondage. The new covenant, Jesus was a one-time sacrifice for all time, the lamb of God, the Passover lamb. My question for you is this, has the blood been applied to your life? He said, well, how can it? Well, I told you, it must be repentance. It must be a drawing of the Holy Spirit. It must be faith. It must be faith that leads to an action. The action has to be surrender. And it's expressed in a phrase, something like this, Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you come, Jesus, and be Lord of my life? The scripture then teaches in Ephesians chapter one, having believed, you received and were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So just for a moment, let me just share this with you quickly in closing. History records an event that happened back in the 1700s or 1800s where two men robbed a mail carrier. And in that particular day, the crime for that, a punishment for that crime was to be hanged uh, until uh, the, the, the recipient was dead from it. Now, both men <clears throat> were captured and they were tried and they were convicted of robbing the mail carrier at gunpoint and the punishment was both men were to be hanged. One of the men's family had some connections with the president of that particular day here in the United States. And so as any good parent would do, this man's parent reached out to the governing authorities and scheduled an appointment with some of the president's top people and asked for their son to receive a pardon. Well, as a favor to the family, because the family was in good graces, the president weighed it and said he didn't feel like the crime punishment fit the crime. And so the president wrote a full unconditional pardon for their son. Well, you can imagine, can't you, how ecstatic the parents were? for their son to get this. I mean, he was fixing to get out of jail. Not only is he not going to be hung, he's fixing to get out of jail. And so their lawyer goes and visits with their son in jail and lets him know that the president has written for him a full unconditional pardon. Can you believe that? Don't you know he must have been so excited to hear that? He's sitting down, he's waiting for the gallows, waiting to see what hanging feels like, waiting to see how, and he hears the news that a full unconditional pardon has been given to him. Amazingly, as the lawyer laid out all that had been done for him, the man who was guilty said, you know, I'm guilty of what I did. My friend's already been hung. Uh, I deserve to be hung. I'm not going to receive the pardon. Now, can you imagine the lawyer's response? He begins to argue with the guy and begins to try to reason with him. Listen, uh, we know that you did it, but, but the punishment is a little greater than the crime. You didn't kill anybody, and so come on, take this pardon. Your parents have gone out of their way, and the president is written in his fullness. It's as if you never committed a crime. And the man said, but I did commit the crime, and I'm going to be hung. So the lawyer leaves and goes back and talks to his parents, and 
begins to explain to the parents that he won't receive it. And they began to cry and weep. And they began to wonder, what can they do? What can they do to make their son receive this pardon? And so finally, finally, they say, you know what? We'll just, they go and talk with him. They go back and forth. The son won't have any part. So they say, we're going to take him to trial. We're going to take him to trial, put it before a judge and force him to take the pardon. Well, the trial unfolds. The evidence is laid out. The pardon's placed before the judge. Arguments are made. And finally, the judge rules thus. The judge rules that a pardon is of little value. As a matter of fact, only what the paper that it's written on is worth unless the recipient is willing to receive it. And therefore, this man will be hung and he was hung. Now, let me say this to you. A pardon has no power unless it is received and applied. Where do you stand today? Have you received the pardon that Jesus Christ purchased for you? If not, what are you waiting for? Now, what I want to do is invite the room to stand with me. Will you just stand up where you are and still in the spirit of prayer? And I'm going to say that between the Lord's Supper tables, there are some spaces. I wonder if there's a, a, a brother or a sister in the room that might would come and pray for lost souls. Will somebody do that for me? Just come down. Thank you, brother, and thank you, sister. And y'all just come for a minute. And just specifically one prayer in, in unison. Just ask the Lord to save. Ask him to save. There's somebody here today, and they may be sitting in a chair or standing at a chair, and they came in one way, and the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with them right now. And if they will, if they will be found by him, he'll save them like he did me and like he did you. So as you pray, ask the Lord to capture their heart this morning and set them free. Hey, listen, if you're out there and the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, stop for a minute. And think about how wonderful it is that God's own spirit would wrestle with you. That, that he would draw you. That right now that feeling that is almost too much for you to bear as the spirit is drawing you. Think about the high king of heaven drawing you. What sense would it make for you to stiff arm him? What sense would it make for you to keep on going on the trail that you've been going on? Wouldn't you surrender to him today? Come to Jesus by way of the cross. There are going to be those that are down front who are coming to help me. They're going to make their way on down front now, if they will. And they're going to be there to receive you today. If you need someone to pray for you, if you need someone just to encourage you, they'll be spread out all across the front, even under the baptistry and over to my left. So if you need someone to pray for you, ladies, there's some ladies down front. Guys, there's some men down front. There's something on your heart you need to be prayed for. Would you just come take one of them by the hand and say, would you pray for me? If you today have given your life to Jesus, I want you to come and let's celebrate. Let's celebrate today. So, Father, I pray now you take this time of response. And, Lord, you do what only you can. And I ask it in the powerful and the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads you.